Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that HR analytics dashboard company, helping all of you HR and people leaders out there automate your entire HR and reporting process. How do we do it? By building an HR dashboard that has pre-built integration connectors to the most popular systems you're using. Are you using a different HRIS, an ATS, an engagement and performance system? Systems like Bamboo HR, Namely, ADP, Lattice, Glassdoor, Greenhouse, Lever, 15.5. Too many HR systems for me to name. If you're using a bunch of HR systems and you're always thinking, why can't I just have all my data in one place? Well, look no further because Employee Cycle can do it and you don't have to switch all the systems you're already using. We simply pull all that data from all those systems into one place for you, into one real-time, beautiful, and centralized HR analytics dashboard. Go to EmployeeCycle.com, check us out. Would love to give a demo to say how we can help you become more data-driven. But that's enough about me and our company because today we have a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, L'Oreal Torres. She's the Chief People Officer at Vested, and today we're going to discuss what is conscious inclusion training and why your company needs it. L'Oreal, welcome to the podcast. L'Oreal, welcome! I am super excited to talk about our topic today. Um, Conscious inclusion training has a very special place in my heart. Awesome. Well, we only like to talk about the things that people are the most excited about, but before we get into that, L'Oreal, I have a very important question for you. Ooh, okay. And that is, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Oh, well, that's a, that's a long story, but I will shorten it. Um, I worked at a startup. I started my career in public relations. I have a public relations degree, and I thought that's where I wanted to be. And I really like the industry, so I stayed in the industry, but I realized I really wanted to help companies make a difference and impact people's lives. And the best way I knew how to make change was to go and work behind the scenes. So I left my PR job and literally jumped headfirst into the world of HR at a company called Cognito. And I have just spent the last eight to 10 years, you know, growing in the world of HR, learning how do we continue to recruit and hire and develop agencies and people to really be successful and look like the world around us. Awesome. All right. So today we're talking about conscious, inclusive training. Is it conscious inclusion training or conscious inclusive training? So it's conscious inclusion training because the idea is that we want to create a more inclusive environment. Got it. So why does this have such a sweet spot in your heart? What makes you care so much about conscious inclusion training? Um, For me, I think conscious inclusion training is about going beyond, I think, what just DNI stands for today, but it's thinking about DNI as a whole collective. So from 
what people's background is. Do they have an education or a degree for that specific job? Is it necessary? Like, are the old antiquated ways of like, they have to have a bachelor's degree in, in finance to work in finance and are we creating an environment where someone who has maybe dyslexia or, or, or another ADA, you know, I think what I like to call just differently abled, are we creating an environment where they're included in our work culture and our workforce? And how do we think about our biases, whether they're innate or grown through our society or our personal upbringing, upbringings, or even what we think of like group mind, when you are in the same kind of group of people, you tend to have biases because um, the group is just very homogeneous sometimes is how do we create an environment where we start to think outside of ourselves and create more inclusive environments? And a lot of that is by creating an environment where we make ourselves a little uncomfortable and think about our surroundings and think about the society as a whole. And then how do we address those biases we have? Um, so that we can work to eventually change our behavior long term to be more inclusive. So I've done a bunch of interviews with guests discussing what DEI means to them. And when I think about the DEI and how it plays out in the real world, the diversity of this acronym has really been explained to be the part where you're inviting different people to the party and the I around inclusion has been making sure that people feel included when they're at the party. And then the E for equity or making it equitable is really about making sure that people feel heard and that they're on the same footing as everyone else. So where does conscious inclusion training fall within that framework? Is it across all three of those or is this something different? It's across all three of those. It's first, I think, going the idea, or at least the way we've enabled it at Bassett is going to the root of what we have set as a precedent. So when we're thinking about our hires, when we're thinking about making sure that every employee at Vested has the same opportunities, that they're paid equitably, that they are given the same access to different leaders, I think that's across the board, right? It's taking, it's having us take a second and think something very simple as we, you know, when we think about designers or creatives, like, do they have to come from a finance background because we focus on finance? No, they just need to be great creatives. Um, and I think we have done a really good job personally at trying to kick those boundaries. But I think as a kind of community across agencies, across the workforce, we have to do that a little bit more. And so conscious inclusion training is a little bit of going, I think, to the root of where do these initial biases start and how do we check ourselves and evaluate ourselves so that we are constantly giving opportunities for more diverse um, employees to join the organization for them to feel included so that they also feel like they belong and have a this is their home. And then how do we make sure that we're equitably giving them whether the same opportunity, the same pay based on their experience? And that we're providing them the same access to the right kind of mentorship and leadership within the organization. But that first starts with questioning yourself. Do you create boundaries? Are you creating um, blockades for the different people within your organization, whether it's from the moment they apply to someone maybe who's been in a position for five years and never has been looked over for um, a promotion or a substantial salary increase or a different position within the organization? It's interesting the spectrum of biases that you're covering because you're not really highlighting the more conventional or the more popular biases that most people have around gender or ethnicity or even age. But you're even talking about 
past experience bias. So if someone hasn't even worked in a specific industry, that doesn't necessarily mean that their past performance or experience is dictating how well they'll be or how well they'll do in a new industry. It seems like you're really looking at every single potential bias out there and how do you become more aware of that? Is that right? Yeah, 100%. Because I think as someone who went to school to study specifically public relations, there weren't many women. There were tons of women, but not many women of color in my um, classes. There was two. I was one of them. And so I think that starts there. Then you go down more granularly to, do you have to have a PR degree to do PR? Writing skills are super successful in a core function of, of what our teens do. So could you potentially have been an English minor? Yeah. Or an English major? Yeah. And so I think when we start to open the gamut a little bit more of what our traditional requirements are, we start to widen the pool actually for candidates and we start to see more people. We start to see more women. We start to see more people of color. We start to see more people of different ages and experience who bring in a different perspective that can really um, help grow and develop your organization and make you super successful with your clients if we just release some of those barriers. So to help make this actionable for our audience of HR leaders, I want to walk through what it looks like to actually do some sort of conscious inclusion training and how do you think about the ROI as well as getting buy-in for this. So when we first start with conscious inclusion training, what is the very first step that an HR leader should take? Should they look at, should they do a survey to see what types of biases their company may have? Should they just go off of their gut to say, these are some of the things that we already have issues with, so let's tackle that first? Should they think about putting together a strategic business plan around the types of goals that they want from this? What does that look like for step one? So I am a very holistic thinker. So I would say step one would be to do a survey of your team members and find out where they're starting from. Do they even know what bias training means? Do they know the terms of conscious inclusion or unconscious bias? Because you want to see where you're starting from. If you're starting at ground zero, well, then you have to include a lot more training steps. Um, if your team members have had training, what kind of training? How deep did it dig? So we actually did a survey for our staff to say, here are some terms. These are some pretty you know, basic uh, conscious inclusion terms. Do you know them? What would you like to learn? And um, what are some blind spots? And we made it anonymous. Two was, yes, we build a business case. We tie it together. Um, and we think about what our goal is and what the KPIs are. And so for us, it was, pivoting how we interview and creating an awareness for our staff. But also one of our metrics was that it becomes more of an open conversation amongst our team members. So it's a little bit intangible, but it the idea was that by starting the conversation, it opens up everyone to be more receptive of the training um, and future trainings. And then the other thing was we found a good partner because the reality is um, I can talk about this till I'm blue in my face, but it, feels a little bit better when it comes from a third party who isn't the person sitting in on their review or isn't the person sitting in on a difficult conversation. But when it's someone who comes in with a fresh perspective um, and doesn't come in with their preconceived biases either to actually do the training session. When it comes to doing the survey, how did you go about conducting the survey and also making sure that your employees didn't have survey fatigue? especially more now so than ever going through COVID and everything that's been happening for the past year and a half or so. 
So many companies have been sending out surveys about, do you want to go back to the office? Do you want to work from home? Do you want to transition? How are you feeling? Are you engaged? Are you sick? Do you have COVID? How are you feeling about race relations? What do you think about the world? Is the economy affecting you? What are you thinking about the presidential election? All of these things. It's just survey, survey, survey. And I get it. How can you, we're a data company. We're trying to help HR leaders use data. So how can you have any type of sentiment analysis or understand what's going on without the surveys. But I'm curious, how did you balance the two so that you can get the highest participation rate possible for this? So the first was we actually worked with our partner that we selected to put together the survey. Um, so we made sure that whatever the questions were, were going to be topics they could actually cover um, so that it was it so that when someone did their survey, there was a direct correlation of a result coming from that. So you put in feedback. Well, part of the training covered that piece of feedback you provided. So we wanted it to feel very tangible. So the time you spent was well spent. Two, we actually do weekly team meetings across our entire agency, whether it's our global meeting once a month or um, more regionally focused. And they're quite short, but every session has an opportunity for the people team, which is what our HR team is called, to share some information or something we're working on so that everyone knows what's going on. Because I think oftentimes what the people team does is a behind the scenes function, but it very much impacts the agency. So we share a little bit about, hey, what's going on in the recruiting world? Or, hey, this is like a cool function we're going to release. Or, hey, this is some changes to the benefits. And it's a very quick snippet. And then we offer, you know, a secondary session. But it's just to make sure that everyone is on the same page. So in one of those sessions, we said, hey, you know, we've heard a lot of this come down from several different meetings. And we want to do a training on this because we feel it's very important. We've heard from you. It's very important. So we want to get more information. So we're going to do a six-question survey. Let us know if you have questions, but this is coming in. And if you want to give us more feedback one-on-one and you're okay with it not being anonymous, reach out to the people team. So I think it gave everyone a little bit more buy-in. And then the other thing is we actually sit down with our leadership team and our account leaders who manage people to make sure, is this something your team your team members will spend five to seven minutes answering? And we also made sure the questions were literally six questions. We put as many, you know, yes, no questions on there. And then we kept a couple short snippets where it didn't take more than about seven minutes for people to respond. And it was very intentional. And what were some of the findings, if you're able to share, that you received from the survey? Yeah, I would say about... So some of the findings was about 50% of our staff had never done a conscious inclusion or bias training. So that helped us understand that we probably really need to spend the first 15 minutes covering the basics, which was helpful because it helped us frame the training sessions. The second thing was that people had heard, those who had heard of conscious inclusion and unconscious bias training either weren't comfortable with all the terms that fell under that or needed a refresher. And then the other thing was that this is an area that people actually on our teams have a very high interest in continuing to develop and learn more. They want to create an environment that that's inclusive. They want to create an environment um, that includes people that are different from them. And so we had a lot of antidotal feedback of things that they wanted to continue to see more of. And then we did a follow-up survey after the training, which asked like, after this training, do you feel you have a better handle on these terms? So it was the same questions as the pre-survey of the pre-training, but the idea was how did this training impact our teams and what more do they want out of it? So just to confirm, the process was you first worked on getting buy-in to get budget for this. Once you were able to do that successfully, you then engaged the firm to work with you. You partnered with them to come up with the types of questions that you would ask. 
you then, based off of the results from that first survey, did a certain training and then post training surveys to then measure how much people learned or what were you trying to get out of the post session? So the post session was how much have people learned? What did they walk away with knowledge? Was it, was it deep enough or not deep enough? And then the second part was we left a, with the sixth question, we changed it a little bit to say, what additional trainings would you like us to dig into? And that's where people gave specific um, responses of whether they wanted to do you know, maybe some of the managers wanted to do how to create a more inclusive um, environment as a manager specifically, or um, we had people want to do more sessions on um, how to mitigate challenging situations as an ally. And so it really gave us an opportunity for people to give a little bit more information on what this training sparked in their minds of where they would like to grow when thinking about conscious inclusion training. And it kind of sparked the conversation on DEI in general within our organization of like where the gaps people want to learn more of, more about, particularly around creating an environment that's inclusive. I don't know if ROI is the specific way to measure it, but how do you know if this is working? Is it from the results from the survey? Is it from some change that you see in how people are operating in your company? Is it the fact that you have a much more diverse or inclusive workforce after this? What's the the metric or what data are you tracking to see if in fact this actually caused a positive impact on your workforce? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're measuring it in a couple ways. We are measuring it in um, our retention. We are measuring it in diversity within our team members for recruiting. We are also measuring it in the small things that, well, I don't think they're small, but in the things that maybe aren't as measurable per se, but the fact that our team is more conscious of something as simple as, but as important as what are someone's pronouns? They ask when they're hired, when they're interviewing. Um, it is part of our new hire form is we ask someone their preferred pronouns. And it's, something that's really important to all of our team members that we made sure we included on all of our new hiring forms, all of our onboarding documents. Um, it's part of our signatures. It's part of our, a lot of people now have it as part of their, um, on Slack, you know, as part of their little uh, bio. And so those are things that I think you can't necessarily measure, but we have seen shift in our organization. And I listen to this, I'm thinking this is so fascinating. It seems very valuable. And I'm sure there's a lot of HR leaders listening to this as well, thinking, well, I just did this DNI training and now you're telling me or you're giving me all this insight into this conscious inclusion training. Did I already do this? Is this something that I need to do in parallel? How should I be thinking about this if I've already done something that was very DEI specific, but maybe not as comprehensive as this type of training? I think that this type of training is something, and I know as an organization, we plan to do every year because this is something that you don't learn or change in a moment or in a day. This is something that happens over time. So I think it is something that all organizations should do in tandem to their DE&I training um, because it's more about going to how do we shift people's biases that are ingrained in us from the day we are born oftentimes based on our environment to moving forward and and it is just a practice of continual practice. I think of it in the same way of like 
training, right? When marathon runners train, they train continuously. They don't train once to become to run a marathon. It is something that they have to build up to and continue to do to sustain. And conscious inclusion training and unconscious bias training is about sustaining um, our awareness of our biases and how they impact the environment that we're part of. Last question, L'Oreal. I can talk to you about this all day. This is really interesting, but to end the interview, I want to ask if there was one thing that you would want all of your fellow HR leaders who are listening to this podcast to remember, what would that one thing be? I would say change is about progress and um, it is not a sprint, but it is a long marathon. And so we have to pace ourselves and I think we have to do it in a community in order to be successful. You heard L'Oreal. It's a marathon. Lace up your sneakers or tennis shoes or wherever you are in the country, whatever you call them. Drink a lot of water. It's a marathon. You're going to be on this ride for a long time. L'Oreal, thank you so much for being such an awesome podcast guest and for bringing your insight and your experience around something that you worked on, which is so important to so many people and companies, because if we can get this right, then so many companies will provide such a better and safer workforce environment for everyone. So thank you so much, and we really appreciate it. So L'Oreal, where can we find you and Vested online? Oh, yeah. So you can find Vested at fullyvested.com. You can also find us on Twitter at fullyvested and our Instagram at fullyvested. And you can find me um, at Torres on Twitter, or you can always reach out to me via LinkedIn at L'Oreal Torres. I happen to be one of very few, so easy to find. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that info. And we'll be sure to include it in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as L'Oreal and I did making it, then please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes because it shows that we're providing great content. Also, if this is your very first time listening to our podcast and now you're hungry for more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.